Well, good morning. Hey, thank you for responding. That felt really good just now. Well, that was great. Uh, my name is Bradley Reese. I'm on staff here at Orchard Hill with the worship team, and I'm, I'm really grateful to be with you this morning. This summer, we're living in a series called What Is. It is an incomplete sentence, we know. We're asking some big questions about faith this summer, and this week we're looking at musical worship, and as I was watching that VBS video just now, I was like, well, shoot, maybe I don't need to teach, and we should just all go to VBS, because those kids teach us what worship is like. Uh, but I'll do my teaching anyway, okay? So we're going to talk about musical worship this morning, and I actually want to start with a question for all of you, okay? And I actually want you to think about this. It's going to be quiet for a second. It's okay. For you, what comes to mind when you hear the word worship? Think about that for a second. For you, what comes to mind when you hear the word worship? Is it a memory? Maybe from when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe from last week? Do you think mostly about experiences that happen in this room or outside of this room? Do you picture another culture? People worshiping someone or something that you don't fully understand? Are you reminded of times when the music was maybe just a little bit too loud or a little too soft or too boring or too showy or too something? Do you think about a Bible study or praying with a group of friends or maybe about helping someone in need? Or do you picture yourself gardening or exercising or fishing? What comes to mind when you hear the word worship? For me, a memory comes to mind almost immediately. All right, the year is 1997, probably. I don't really remember. But I'm standing next to my dad at Westside Church in Davenport, Iowa. There is a ridiculous green carpet on the floor and also on the stage. There are ridiculous green church pews, and they're all covered in coloring books and snacks and like anything else that my parents thought would keep us quiet during the service. But at this moment, we're standing and we're singing together, and I hear the second verse of a hymn called Jesus Paid It All. It says this. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Now, believe it or not, as a young child from Iowa, I was unfamiliar with leprosy. My knowledge of first century skin diseases was just not quite there yet. So I was confused. And I turned to my dad and I go, Dad, why does God want leopards to just be cats? <laughs> And I don't think he really heard me because to this day, I cannot get the image of like some cartoon Jesus in the middle of a rainforest erasing spots from leopards with a giant God-sized pink eraser. So questions are important and also spelling is kind of important, right? But I have some more memories. I remember being a teenager and absolutely refusing to sing in church because my sisters were pressuring me to do it and I was just not about that life. I remember being 14 at youth camp seeing the teenage girl who would one day become my wife, worshiping God through song, and wishing that I could be as happy and as confident as she was. And I also remember engaging in musical worship for the first time at that camp by dancing the electric slide while the band played, mostly because everyone else was doing it. And then later, I remember attending Orchard Hill Church as a college student, and I was with a friend who didn't and still doesn't believe in God. I remember looking over at him while we sang the song 10,000 Reasons and noticing that he was crying. I remember attending a packed funeral, singing to God with a body of people overcome by grief and desperately clinging to the hope that death is not the end, but a door that leads us home. And I also remember standing on the shore of Lake Superior 
like just about a year ago, and being overwhelmed by how beautiful it was, by the peace and the joy that I felt. You know how vacations are, peace and joy, that kind of thing? And I remember asking God, God, how can I thank you for this? God, how can I love you more? And that day I felt like God answered me, go and love your family. So I hope that I did that. Over the past several months, I've had conversations about this with friends and coworkers, and I've heard thoughts and memories from others that have led me to the conclusion that worship of all kinds is powerful. This thing that we call worship affects us somehow. But what even is it? Is worship standing by a lake? Or is it singing in church or crying in church? Or is it reading the Bible? Is worship serving my community? What is worship? To help us think about this, I want to show you a picture, okay? I call this the worship onion uh, because in the words of a great theologian by the name of Shrek, onions have layers, right? And worship also has many, many layers, and we're going to talk about just a few of them, okay? So this first outer layer of the onion is worship. It's not any specific act of worship. It's actually the reality of worship. Within this circle lies the truth that we all direct our energy, our attention, and our focus towards something that we believe has inherent value. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes says that God has planted eternity in our hearts. Humans are created with this sense that there has got to be something more, some ultimate truth or purpose that is worthy of our attention, worthy of our worship. And we're wired with this urge to go find it and do just that, to worship it. So we often end up worshiping one God or many gods or no gods, and instead we worship a set of principles or ideals. And without knowing it, all of us often worship relationships or success or comfort or happiness or money or power, and we do this because we are wired to worship. It's in our DNA. Everybody worships. We actually can't help it. Now, within this broad layer of worship is Christian worship. Christian worship happens when we assign this role of ultimate truth and power and worth to God, who created everything and everyone, who became human in the form of Jesus, and who is still at work today through the work of the Holy Spirit, who is here right now. And so we direct our energy and our attention toward this God who planted eternity in our hearts because we believe that God is worthy, right? We sing the words, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. And this doesn't just happen in church buildings. Christian worship is a holistic offering of all that we know of ourselves to God. Our values, our relationships, our work, our standing by a lake, our changing diapers, our mowing the lawn, our everything. And just one way that we worship God is through corporate Christian worship. Okay, this is the next circle. It's when we gather to worship God through practices that we've decided are essential that we do in community. We're doing it right now, right? We pray together, we engage the Bible together, we sing together, and we also have conversations and we drink coffee or we serve coffee and our kids hang out together and they learn about Jesus. And all of these things are important spiritual practices of corporate Christian worship. And this morning, we're going to zero in on just one of these practices, okay? Corporate musical worship. Now, friends, I hope this isn't news to you. This is not just listening to music. It's creating music together. And I'm not even talking about the band. All of us, we sing together 
We clap our hands as well as we possibly can. We lift our hands. And this is all in an effort to direct our full attention to God. And believe it or not, none of this is new. In fact, the Old Testament is filled with people offering musical worship to God, and most historians believe that singing together as an act of corporate musical worship began about 3,000 years ago when David was the king of Israel. So many of the psalms that you see in the Old Testament are examples of these early corporate musical worship songs. And that's a really nice history lesson if you're into that thing. But the real question is why? Why music? Why has corporate musical worship been such a consistently important part of worshiping God for thousands of years? Why do the Psalms in the Old Testament and Paul in the New Testament encourage all of us who want to worship God to sing songs together, old songs and new songs, to lift our hands, to shout for joy, to play instruments, to dance like fools, and to do so even when we don't feel like it or when it's not comfortable for us? Did you know that Jesus, right before he went to die on a cross, spent some of his final moments with his friends singing hymns? Why did Jesus do that? Why is musical worship a constant among Christian gatherings from every denomination, every language, every culture, and every corner of the world? What is the point of musical worship? Have you ever wondered this? I definitely have. What is the point of musical worship? worship. Musical worship is an essential spiritual practice for every person because it helps us to fix our attention on God. This is what we were created to do, and we do it first and foremost because God is worthy. Musical worship is for God, and God is so kind And God loves us so much that he created musical worship with gifts that benefit us. When we fix our attention on God, God turns around and nourishes our bodies, our communities, and our souls. Musical worship is for God because God is worthy. And God makes it good for us because God is kind. So let's talk about three gifts God gives in musical worship, okay? The first is that musical worship nourishes our bodies, our physical bodies. This is a very physical activity. We use over 40 muscles just to sing, so everyone, well done. We've already burnt calories this morning. Thanks for coming. Uh, But it's not just singing, right? Scripture is constantly encouraging us to lift our hands, to kneel down in adoration, to literally dance like a fool. It says that. To shout, to play instruments. And these physical acts of praise, they're meant to engage our bodies, all of our senses, to help us offer our full attention to God. And our bodies are also engaged chemically. Music activates virtually every part of the human brain in different ways, and it releases chemicals that help us to control our fear, to reduce anxiety, to increase our joy, to decrease feelings of depression, and to create and retrieve lasting memories. And maybe you don't notice any of that happening for you, right? No one's up here while we're singing going, ah, yes, there's the dopamine. Love that dopamine. Thanks, God. Right? No one says that. But these physical and chemical benefits help us to quiet our anxious minds, to focus our busy bodies, and to place ourselves before God as an offering And in his kindness, God uses that offering to nourish our bodies. 
Have you ever walked into this room with your mind racing? Outlining every single one of the 12 million things that you have to get done with your heart beating a mile a minute. And throughout the entire beginning of the service, you can't settle in, you can't really focus, and then everything kind of slows down. And we sing together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. And you find yourself able to catch your breath. Your heart rate levels out. And maybe all of a sudden it feels possible to just be here. Musical worship is for God because God is worthy. And God makes it good for us because God is kind. It nourishes our bodies. And musical worship also nourishes our communities. Did you know that when we sing together, our hearts start to sync up? I don't even mean that metaphorically, although, to be honest, it just sounds adorable, right? But when we sing together, we're inhaling and we're exhaling at the same time, and this results in our heart rates speeding up and slowing down at the same time. And truth be told, we don't actually know what that does to us. It's almost like we become one body, isn't it? We do know that music experienced together has been linked to stronger community bonds, to increased empathy and connection and confidence to form new friendships. I could use some of that. If you happen to be a soccer fan, or if you've seen the first two seasons of Ted Lasso and you kind of think you're a soccer fan now, that's me, you'd know that corporate singing for the sake of community doesn't just happen in church buildings. My favorite example of this is how Liverpool fans sing the song, You'll Never Walk Alone, at the beginning and the end of every match. So win or lose, you can hear this sea of people from every walk of life singing, not beautifully, but very loudly, these words. Walk on. Walk on with hope in your heart. And you'll never walk alone. You will never walk alone. There's a writer and football fan who said that even if you don't really believe when you start singing that you'll never walk alone, you believe it a little bit more when you finish. And I think we've got to take a look at what this looks like. So watch this video. going forever. Not beautifully, but very loudly, right? Something happens to us when we sing corporately. It binds us together. It helps us to build each other up, to encourage each other of the truths that we sing. So it's no wonder that throughout the New Testament, Christians were urged, called, and even commanded to sing songs with one another and to one another, because it helps us to believe important truths about God, like the ones we sang this morning, that God really does reign over the entire universe and over every individual beating heart, that heaven is reaching for us, that God is speaking to us, that God offers healing and freedom. Y'all, musical worship is for God because God is worthy, and God makes it good for us because God is kind.
It nourishes our communities. It helps us to hold each other up. And it also nourishes our souls, our individual relationships with God. In fact, I'm absolutely convinced that God designed all the benefits of musical worship for this one purpose, relationship. This is God's deepest desire. It's what Jesus meant in his final prayer when he said, this is eternal life, to know you. You and I were created to know God. We were created to have a relationship with God. It's easy for us to miss this, isn't it? In the midst of our insecurities about how we look or how we sound, in the midst of our preferences about what church should look like or our shame that seeks to silence us, it's easy for us to miss the truth that God doesn't need a room full of perfect people singing in perfect harmony in order to satisfy some kind of spiritual checklist or to appease his ego. Friends, that's not who God is. God doesn't need your worship. God wants a relationship with you, just as you are this morning, imperfect and loved perfectly. And when we allow it, this act of musical worship, it helps us to let go a bit, to get out of our heads, to push past our insecurities, to peel back the defensive layers that we put around ourselves and, and communicate with God, be with God in a more real and honest way. That's the point of musical worship. And God uses it to nourish our very souls to draw us near to himself, to reveal more of who he is and what he's like, to open our eyes so that we can actually notice his presence with us, to fill us with the hope and the courage and the strength that we so desperately need, and to lead us on so that we can take part in blessing this broken world that God loves. So for you, maybe as you sing, you'll start to notice these words of truth go from being ideas in your head to beliefs in your heart. Maybe the words of a song become a prayer that you didn't know you needed to pray, like, God, I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and my fears, they don't scare you. Maybe as you sing certain words, you encounter this truth about who God is and who you are that frees you from shame or fear. Like, God, I am chosen I am not forsaken. God, I am who you say I am. And maybe you find yourself asking for a specific need or just for some strength or courage or hope or a little peace, maybe even a little joy. A while back, our worship staff team attended a conference that's designed to help worship teams learn and grow together. So let me tell you, there was a lot of musical worship. Like, there was hours of it, okay? Here's a question. Have you ever shown up to church just not feeling it? Yeah, like maybe you're more excited about what's happen, happening after church. Or maybe some dude cut you off on the way here. Or you're walking in the room with questions and grief and anxiety. Or maybe, frankly, it was just a miracle that you and your family got out the door this morning and all the last thing you want to do right now is sing a song, right? I've been there. And in one of the final musical worship sets of this conference, y'all, I was there. In fact, I don't even remember why, but I had a bad attitude. 
I was just ready to move on. So the music started and I found myself staying seated when everyone else stood up. I found myself staying quiet when everyone else started to sing. I found myself pulling out my phone to check some emails, you know. This lasted for a few minutes. And then the worship leader started talking about a new song. And I decided to stand and listen, most honestly, because I thought maybe we should bring this song to Easter for Orchard. Sorry. But as the leader spoke, and I don't even remember what they said, I was reminded that we don't worship God because we're feeling it. We worship God because God deserves it. We don't worship God because we're feeling it. We worship God because God deserves it, and he wants a relationship with us. So reluctantly, I made the choice to join in. Toward the end of the song, the lyrics said this. On the day you call me in to heaven's sweet embrace, I'll see your scars, your open arms, the beauty of your face, and with tears of joy, I'll lift my voice in everlasting praise. Hallelujah, Christ is risen from the grave. And all throughout eternity, our song will be the same. Hallelujah, Christ is risen from the grave. As I sang those words, even though I didn't really want to, an unexpected picture came to my mind. I saw my grandma, Ginny. Ginny was my wife Alex's grandmother, but she had become one of the most important people in my life and in my faith. Ginny was the person you'd call if you needed someone to pray for you, and she would, right there on the phone while you listened. She would hug you tightly, and she would whisper, bless your heart, into your ear. And all of a sudden, you would know what bless your heart actually means. She would laugh with her head thrown back, and you'd find yourself laughing too. Ginny was made of light. And at the time of this conference, Ginny was in a brutal battle with dementia. This battle was slow, it was agonizing, and it lasted a whole year before she died. Dementia had stolen Ginny's light. It had stolen her joy and her laughter her memories. Some of you have experienced this kind of robbery, and you'll know that it's not fair. It's not right. It's broken. But the picture I saw as I sang those words was not of Grandma Ginny with dementia. Honestly, I believe I was looking at something that hadn't happened yet. I saw Grandma Ginny in heaven, experiencing the ultimate fulfillment of her lifelong dream. She was hugging her family tightly, which somehow included Alex and me because I guess time doesn't matter in heaven. She was laughing with her head thrown back and she was running and she was dancing and she was singing and there was no pain and there was no confusion, but there was life and there was joy. And in my head, I kept hearing these words. The end is worth it. The end is worth it. All the pain and the struggle and the deep sorrow is nothing compared to an eternity where every broken thing is mended and every body is healed and every heart is whole. And in that moment, and then again when Ginny died, and now every time I hear that song, I'm simultaneously filled with grief for what Ginny had to endure and also joy and wonder for what she must be experiencing right now. And also, the steadfast hope 
that no matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, the end is worth it, friends. It's worth it. That day at the conference, when I wasn't feeling it, when I least expected it, God took my tiny offering of worship, that small surrender of my attention, my comfort, and my preferences, and in his kindness, God used it to draw me near to himself, to remind me that he actually cares, that he is close, and that he is making every wrong thing right. Friends, when we actively engage with corporate musical worship, what we're doing is offering a small surrender of our attention our comfort, and maybe even some of our preferences. We offer that to God, and then God does something really cool. God uses that surrender in his kindness to draw us near to himself, to reveal himself to us, to help the truth of who he is and who we are go down deep and take root in us, increasing our courage and our strength to walk on even when life is hard. And here's the thing. God's always at work in us. God's kindness and power and presence are always 100%. God does not change. But something does change when we worship God together. It's us. It's our ability and our willingness to offer God our attention, to acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit, to communicate our need to communicate our trust, to communicate our thanks. And then little by little, we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us whether we feel it or not. I'm gonna invite the band up and we're gonna practice this together. Okay, so right now I actually wanna invite you to stand and we're gonna engage in musical worship together. And as we do, if you feel comfortable, I'm gonna pray. And as I pray, I wanna invite you to hold your hands out like this. One of the things that I'm communicating when I do this is that God has everything that I have, all of my attention, all that I am. Let's pray together. God, you created the universe. You created every person. You crafted human relationships. God, you painted every sunrise. You carved every mountain. You shaped every detail of every creature on this earth. And then, God, you sent yourself to die for us so that we would know that we're loved, broken as we are, beyond our wildest imagination. Father, you are worthy of our worship. So God, this morning, we offer ourselves to you. We offer you our worship. We offer you our song. We offer you our very breath. God, we offer you our lives and we are so grateful that you are so kind that you meet us in the midst of our worship to show us who you are. So Father, we just ask that you would do that this morning. God, would you make us aware of your presence? Would you fill us with your heart, your courage, your hope, your strength? And then God, would you lead us on? In Jesus' name, amen.